Hi, I'm Pete Hammond. And I'm Dominic Patton. And this is the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Now, today we're going to be discussing some of our favorite episodes of television over the past year, along with some of the contenders for Best Actor and Actress in a Comedy Series. Plus, you'll also hear some of my interview with Fargo and Leftovers actress Carrie Coon. But first of all, the best episodes of television this past year. Now, part of the reason we're talking about this is because it's something that Pete brought up before, which is the notion of the Emmy episode, which is the episode that is either deliberately filmed or constructed because that's the one they want to highlight, or the one, and if you're like both of us, your house is now overflowing with these screeners, the one they send you. That's right. And, you know, it's sort of like what they do during Oscar season. Uh, Studios pick out a movie or something that they have, and that's what they're going to run because that's sort of like their Emmy episode. That's the movie that they think will have Oscar appeal. And so in TV terms, it's creating an episode that's going to be your Emmy episode. And actors talk about it when they're on the set. Oh, this could be my Emmy episode, you know, when they get a script and it's got really uh, tight stuff there. Now, it used to be uh, a lot more worthwhile for them to do this. But now in the last two years, since they've expanded voting and particularly in the finals, to include everyone in the actor's peer group, for instance, um, that limits it. It used to be that you would watch these episodes and it would be a panel of a a few people, 100 people or whatever, seeing these. And then you could watch them at home and it would be more than that, 200, 300 people maybe watching these episodes that are specifically sent to them. Now, it's open to the entire branch. It's it's unbelievable how many are coming. But, But before we get to that, I want to talk about some of my favorites. Now, I don't know if some people, I think some of these are considered the Emmy episode, but here are the ones. Yeah. And, and this is this is the most non-scientific list you will find. <laughs> first of all is the the first episode of season two of Masters of None, which I just thought was unbelievable. And you, yeah. you have to see if for no other reason than that's the way to do Italy. The second one, and these are again in no particular order, is the, the penultimate episode of the third season, third and final season of HBO's The Leftovers. Now, look, I've been very clear. Not that, the last episode. Not the last episode. The penultimate episode. that's the one everybody's like raving I about. know, but you see, but sometimes <laughs> I feel like, you know, and this is where I think uh, the yeah. producers, I think, I think the, and the writers of The Leftovers were very smart because they didn't end on a bang. Right. The world ended in the second to last episode, not the last episode. (laughs) And that episode, the most powerful man in the world and his identical twin brother is one where, well, I mean, besides the fact that a certain male sexual organ is used as a security system to get into the president's powerful uh, bunker, this is one where Justin Theroux literally plays two characters. He's kind of in an alternative world from the alternative world of The Leftovers, which can get a little heady for a lot of people I know. But the other thing is, he goes to a world where he plays the president of the United States, and he plays the president's brother, who is trying to stop the president from destroying the world. In many ways, this is a lot like the episode from season two, International Assassin, which really is a giveaway that, in fact, Justin Theroux, though not British, is a good contender, in my opinion, for a James Bond or a James Bond-like figure, or, as I think really should happen, if anyone decides to reboot Wolverine, he should definitely be playing Logan. Let me get this straight. You watch Every one of these episodes of every series here. I know you're the TV critic, I w- but you, you know watch. You continue to watch all these shows and every. You sound like you've seen every episode of everything ever made. Well, I feel like I have, <laughs> and I, I feel like you know. I, I feel like the 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 only gift I have as a TV critic, and I'm sure many people would say I have no gifts as a TV critic, is the fact that I don't need a lot of sleep. And so I watch a lot. I watch a lot, and you also I'm a big believer, and I'm not sure if everyone does this, but I'm a big believer is that whatever a network cabler or streamer sends you 
watch all of it. Oh my you know? god. You know, because Oh my god. Yeah, but you all but you watch, <laughs> but see for you, but you 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 say that. I mean, you watch movies. I, I do, easy. but I, I watch TV too, but I get in inundated with these screeners and things which have like full seasons on them, a lot of them. Yeah. Some of them have selected episodes. I assume though that the ones that have selected episodes, which are the ones that come from the major networks, um, mostly. Um uh, that they've picked the best. And sometimes when I watch those, well, I see, wonder if that's the best, well, then that's see, off see, my that, list. That's where you and I differ because I often <laughs> find that they are so not picked the best. Yeah, well, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, I, it's, I, it's, I, I agree with you. And it, it's odd to me. It's all, The other thing is there odd There are to reasons, me. political there, reasons there, for picking there are, a lot of these There are bad things. reasons. Yeah. The other bad reason I think too is, and, I, and I, 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 I baffle about this, when they will only send you a pilot, because a pilot yeah. is never the best episode. But it's the it's the one you put the most work into. If you into, look at writing and directing categories of those that are submitted there, often the the show that gets uh, nominated, the one that's there, is the pilot episode. And inter interesting you say that. But I will come to this. Almost none of my favorite tele individual television episodes from this past season were the pilot. Well, I can and, see I, that. I don't I, think the pilot episode is necessarily going to be the best. But it's the one that they think will get the most eyeballs. And, and they are wrong. <laughs> Another one that I think is really great, and I mean, obviously a lot of people saw The Good Wife on CBS, and now there, there's the sequel, The Good Fight, which is on CBS All Access, which I think is an excellent plan on Les Moonves as, as a... Uh, part to get more people to sign up for their streaming service in kind of anticipation of when Star Trek Discovery comes when they expect a tsunami of signups. But the best episode of that of that show, I have to say, was episode five, Stoppable, Requ Requiem for an Air Date, which is very interesting because, I mean, I, it's a little bit inside baseball, but essentially there was a Law and Order episode that was put together last year um, that really dealt with, a Law and Order SVU actually, that dealt with a lot of stuff in and around Donald Trump, particularly a character inspired by and for a multitude of reasons NBC have decided as of yet not to air that episode really? well the good fight did a show about that without naming names but pretty much going into the story and I thought it was fantastic because they even they even use like the law and order SVU type of title cards and what yeah. have you it was very smartly done well, so that might actually appeal to your basic TV voter because it's about them it's well about, you know exactly I mean look I'm a, I'm a big that, believer that Oscar voters love movies about the movies this is, this is why sort of I really still thought La La Land and, was going to Win. I and did and not let me say my favorite episode of the year. I've said this before, but in the uh, in the uh, limited series feud, I thought brilliantly recreating the Oscar show of 1963. Ryan Murphy told me he spent they spent millions of dollars doing this episode. So you take an episode out of something that costs an absolute fortune. You throw everything into it. Several months research, he said, went into this. So much work. That is not choreography. The case. Oh, everything. The choreography of the way that's set up. I, I know yeah. how much you love that episode, and I know you've yeah. written about it. And yeah. here's the thing that's interesting about that. Yeah. Not the pilot, not no. the finale. In fact, it was mid-season, no. was mid -season, wasn't it's it? Yeah. Mid, it's uh, episode five. Now, that's atypical of series and things to spend all this money and all this time on something that's just in the body of a series, even a limited series like this, uh, which is essentially an eight-hour movie. But nevertheless, um, he said, yeah, millions of dollars. That's sort of pitting that against something else, you know, in the directing category or in the writing category is a little unfair because they had so much time and so much effort and so much money to spend on it. But, but it, makes nevertheless. Sense, it makes sense, though, because because based on that story, and we'll assume that you all know what feud Betty and Betty and Joan, or is it Joan and Betty? I know we forget well, yeah. what 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 that's based on is, you know, getting to the 1962 Oscars and the way that Joan Crawford played that. I yeah. mean, 
evil. Yeah. I mean, I mean, <laughs> Cruella DeVille evil, but masterful. Yeah. And, the, and, and how she ended up, the woman who yeah. was not nominated, yeah. ended up holding the Oscar at the end yeah. of the night. But it was for me, it was all about authenticity, too. It was very accurate in its depiction of, you know, what we know about the behind now, the scenes of it. Now, did they actually shoot that out in Santa Monica? They shot it at the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium, which has changed since those days when they had the Oscars there. And they rebuilt it, essentially, the backstage area so they could do that incredible Steadicam shot. They recreated everything right down to the program, to the, to the nails in the wall everything was completely authentic is that why you like that episode so i much? just thought that the effort that went into it and and that i could uh, compare it against the actual show itself uh was extraordinary see part of what i like and to talk about another episode i really liked was the uh, un episode of underground which wgn america has foolishly in my opinion canceled and i'm dying <laughs> we, to hope we that know some, you think that. someone steps up and does the right and smart thing and pick it up yes. bet own hello how are you today was the episode called minty which basically, with Aisha Hines playing, playing Harriet Tubman, which she has done through all of season two, mm -hmm. this episode was really, it was, a, it was a tub talk. It was an episode, and if you haven't seen it, you have to. And, and this, I also actually do think, was Underground's Emmy episode, and they've been pushing it hard, rightly so, I might add. But what was interesting about this, this was theater. This was Harriet Tubman as what actually happened during the abolitionist times, which is, I didn't realize this, but in fact, very little sa slave saving happened during most of the year. It was several months, but a lot of the year was spent, surprise, surprise to the world of politics, how it hasn't changed that much, fundraising. Yeah. And this is something that she and, and others would do. They would fundraise. And so this was a fundraising speech slash training session for abolitionists. Hines is amazing in this role, and she is on camera the entire time going through an emotional range, which most actors, I mean, I just say step back, right? But, isn't step back. This, uh, but it, was, it was so well-placed right in the middle of the series yeah. because like your episode, yeah. it became un unawares to the viewers, and yet then afterwards, looking back at the season, you see this was where everything shifted, and it was fantastically done. Isn't this dead in the water, though, since they made this big deal about canceling it? a few days before Emmy voting began. You know, I mean, I doesn't mean, that hurt it? Well, of course it hurts it. Of yeah. course it hurts it. I People appeal, look I, at this I and like go, oh, that's the show that was canceled. I appeal to the, the, the greater angels, but I don't think the greater angels well. I do not know how their wings flutter, but I'm not sure they're it's fluttering It's rare that, that a canceled show scores at the Emmys. It's happened, certainly, many times in Emmy history, but not that much. All and, right. Um, so we'll see what happens with Underground. With that, a word from our sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by the acclaimed Warner Brothers television comedy, Trial and Error, for NBC. Entertainment Weekly called the show a gift from the TV heavens, and the Los Angeles Times said it was solid and funny, impressively cast. And even Alexander Hamilton loves it. Hamilton creator Lin-Manuel Miranda recently tweeted that he had just finished the incredible first season of Trial and Error and said, I know there is so much good TV right now, but damn, this is good. For your Emmy considerations in all categories. Now, talking about favorite episodes, let's talk about favorite actors. One of mine has to be Carrie Coon. I sat down recently and talked with the Fargo and Leftovers actress about what it was like working with such powerhouse writers as Damon Lindoff and Noah Hawley, and how she balanced the language and tones of doing two totally different characters on prime time at almost the same time. 
look, I'm not going to blow smoke, but <laughs> you're working with pretty great writers yeah. and pretty great showrunners on both. How did you find in keeping the language and keeping, keeping that tone? Because especially as you mm -hmm. talk about with Nora, especially as you and Justin Thoreau's character go to Australia for the end of the world, yeah. um, there's a very, very distinct emotional arc happening mm -hmm. there. Yes. As opposed to on Fargo, there's another type of emotional arc unraveling in a right. different way. Yes, I suppose, um, I suppose I always come back to the language because, as you say, the benefit of working with people of that caliber is that everything you need is on the page. You could do nothing else except show up and say the words, and you're going to be most of the way there. And I, I give them a lot of credit for that. And eventually, you know, you play a character for two or three years, and, and she's in your body. I mean, at the beginning of a season, I, I say it always feels like putting on a wet bathing suit at first. It's like you know it's your bathing suit, but it feels a little uncomfortable. And that's how it feels when you get back into a season. But ultimately, you know, by the end of uh, Leftovers, I know Nora better than anyone, and then Damon knows her almost as well as I do. But then flip that, though, because right. of course, Fargo being an anthology series, mm -hmm. you haven't had two or three seasons no. to lead up as, as the sheriff. You're now like, right. you're in this, and it's a contained thing. I mean, that's pretty why much, I if think Noah keeps it as he has, it's a contained yeah. thing. Yeah, I think that's why the what's so great about Fargo is that, it, like I said, it's very external. There are a lot of conditions on Fargo. You're up there in Canada. It's cold. You're dressed a very particular way. You've worked up on a, that dialect, which was not far from me. I'm from Ohio. I went to school in Wisconsin. So also there was something about just the fundamental character of Fargo that's actually even closer to me than Nora is. I mean, those are my people. We are the emotionally repressed Midwest. That's where I grew up. The only people in the world who immigrated from a, one cold country yes. to a colder place. <laughs> that's right. Sadly. Yeah, that's right. It's very unusual. N looking at that, I mean, you, you of course, have, you won a Tony Award for Who's Afraid of Virginia I was Wolf. nominated, but Judith Light beat me. I love you, I'm Judith sorry Light. I had that wrong. It's okay. I'm just trying to butter it you up. It was so well deserved. <laughs> Nonetheless. You, you had, you've had a very strong career in theater, mm -hmm. but you really, you, your, your TV time has not been long. I mean, no, it's only been about five early. or six years. You started at the Playboy Club was your first time on yeah, the small screen. Was, yeah. And to think that you went from that, yeah. which is where you are now, mm -hmm. did you see yourself as a television actor? Oh, or no. did you, do you think primarily, I'm a theater actor? I mean, I was doing, I was doing um, Shakespeare in Wisconsin for four years at, at American which Players Theater. Which sounds, like, a, sounds like another FX show unto itself. <laughs> it could be. It really could be. It's an extraordinary place. And I was perfectly comfortable. I had a very comfortable life. You know, in Chicago at that time, you could be a theater actor and make a living. So I didn't have another job. I wasn't waiting tables. I was just going on and off unemployment. I did some, you know, I did motion capture work for video games, and I, I edited some dissertations. Because okay, so you have to tell us what games. Um, I mean, there's a whole Fargo crew going to be out there like buying Wolverine and Return to Castle Wolfenstein. They're older. They were with Raven Software in, in Wisconsin. Yeah. Ah. It was Return to Castle Wolfenstein. It was the next iteration. The sequel. I did all the women and some of the... An some of the uh, animal work, like the monster work and that. Some you, of the you, you get kidnapped work. a lot. When you're, when yeah, you're doing mocap as a woman, you get, you're always getting kidnapped and beaten and smothered and drowned. Sort of like but, Fargo. Yeah, it's not. It's, it, it, it really mean, prepared been, yeah. me well for the rest of my career. But you never. But you, you but thought no, to yourself, this was a comfortable life. You don't life. get famous from there. You yeah. don't get famous from Chicago. We all know that. That's what's so extraordinary about particularly the theater community is that, look, in New York and L.A., everyone's trying to get the next thing. In Chicago, you're doing the thing you're doing when you're doing it. And there's something about the quality of that that's different because people are very present in the work that they're doing. And because the ensemble ethic reigns supreme in Chicago, you know, it's the land of Steppenwolf Theater. Home of and, Wolf, yes, exactly. So all the young theater companies are trying to build companies. So you have these companies of actors working together for years at a time. They have these really um, intense relationships and they're making really great theater. It's the best theater town in the country. 
And then, you know, that I just happened to be in a play that went to Broadway. That's the only reason this is happening for me. Because did you, did you think, though, at that time, mm -hmm. and, and sorry to interrupt, but did no. you think in many ways that that, you know, as you said, people come to L.A., people come to New York, and you're in it. Like, mm -hmm. you're like, I was in the Starbucks, and all of a sudden Jerry Buckheimer was there, and sure. I was like, this and that. But being in the Windy City, which has a very rich theater, mm -hmm. theater and media community of its own, of course, right. but it gave you time to kind of grow and, and find your muscles as an mm -hmm. artist? Well, of, of course. I mean, I think there's no better training than being on stage. It makes me sad when I see young actors who want to be famous television stars, but they don't want to go through the theater because here's the thing. The theater requires you to act with your whole body. And oftentimes, I think if you just do TV and film for so long, you learn how to do it right here, but it's not fully embodied, I don't think. And, and I think these young the people would really that? benefit. I mean, I'm uh -huh. I remember once reading a story, an interview with Richard Burton. Okay. And people were talking to him about his marriage with Elizabeth Taylor mm -hmm. and the scandals and the, the paparazzi and whatever. And he right. said, yeah, but hold on a second. Elizabeth taught me how to be a movie star. Mm. And well, the, sure. The interviewer, what do you mean? He goes, I did theater. I knew how to say, ye kings, and come right. with us and wave my hand. Yes. I didn't learn that it was looking in the camera and squinting a tiny bit that would convey all that right. emotion. But I think it's much harder to scale down than it is to scale up. Oh, really? I do, because I think, look, I think acting with your whole body gives you a root in your, in your gut, and you can sort of build from there. And I think if you're not rooted, if you haven't done the vocal work, I mean, so, so many people think that, like you don't need to do vocal training if you're going to be on TV. Well, you know what? I held somebody hostage for CBS for 17 hours. So it's, it, it requires that of you. And I think some people don't get that training. And so, you know, you can't do a scene for 12 hours a day. This week's episode is brought to you by the acclaimed Warner Brothers television comedy, Trial and Error for NBC. Entertainment Weekly called the show a gift from the TV heavens, and the Los Angeles Times said it was solid and funny, impressively cast. And even Alexander Hamilton loves it. Hamilton creator Lin-Manuel Miranda recently tweeted that he had just finished the incredible first season of Trial and Error and said, I know there is so much good TV right now, but damn, this is good. For your Emmy considerations in all categories. All right, right now we're going to continue our uh, rundown and analysis of some of the uh, key Emmy categories. Uh, today we're going to talk about Best Actor and Actress in a Comedy Series. Now, uh, let's start with Best Actor in a Comedy Series. Uh, I'm just going to remind you that last year's nominees, Anthony Anderson in Blackish, uh, Aziz Ansari for Master of None, William H. Macy for Shameless, Thomas Middleditch for Silicon Valley, Will Forte, Last Man on Earth, and the winner, and the winner the last two years in a row, Jeffrey Tambor for uh, Trans parents. So that looks like a list that could absolutely completely repeat and fill the category again this a year. Absolutely, except I would say that we're definitely going to see Donald Glover, who co-creator and star of Atlanta. Glover is definitely going to be in there. I mean, for no other reason than he's been very well placed going so far into this award season. And he's won others, Golden Globes. Exactly, and exactly. And, so I think, yeah. and he's playing, and he's in the Han Solo movie, which yeah. is awesome. So, so who I, does he replace? Well, I don't know. Will Forte, probably. Last yeah, I would I would say I would say Will Forte. I mean, Masters of None, excellent second season. Yeah, he'll get in. Bla Anthony Anderson, Blackish, excellent yes. season. You know, William H Macy, Shameless. I mean, I'm always confused about how Shameless gets away with shamelessly being in this category, but nonetheless, perhaps. Well, they always thought it was a comedy. It was like, uh, uh, from my understanding, with um, John Wells, is he uh, gave in to the executives at Showtime at the time, who thought it was a drama and had a better shot there, and so he 
he had the shot uh, when they left uh, to change it to comedy, and he actually petitioned the Academy when I was on the board, and we and he did a great letter and a great um, uh, reasoning of why it's a comedy. It's an hour. I don't think we should um, penalize uh, our shows, uh, you know, that are in the comedy category, and that brings up my choice for a nomination this year, which would be Neil Patrick Harris in oh. a series of unfortunate events. He is phenomenal. That is a series. That is the one. That is the beginning of a series of unfortunate decisions on your part. Uh, thank you very much. But I uh, actually nothing against Neil Patrick Harris. Neil, Neil Patrick Harris can song and dance the world to death and, and back he's to life again. In the show, I, nah. I actually saw the show because they asked me to moderate a panel, and so is it that was, the way to get you to watch TV? It was, yes, it is. So if I if I phone, <laughs> if I phone up networks and I'm like, hey, you know, you should ask Pete to do this, blah blah blah. He get get Pete to do a Walking I Dead actually, panel. Well, you, you know, you'd be like, oh my god, I was watching Walking our, Dead last night with our Contenders event where I did 13 or 14 of them. I had to hey, watch hey, those you, shows. You do not brag about how many panels you did <laughs> in the Contenders to me, pal. Okay. So I actually sat down and watched. You're still trying the to shows. grow back a kidney from that. You had already seen the shows i yeah. had to watch them but now i, I but seen now them. i know the trick I, uh, but so, this was, okay. so anyway I, I i i watched the show and i looked at it and I, I i said to them i go like you know if peter sellers had done a television series this would be the one he's playing all these different characters it's masterful acting he doesn't overdo it i think um the new york times said something really smart about it they said he turns over the top into an art because you don't feel like it's over the top and it's very smart and it's just different. It's a different show. Maybe it should be in the children's category. Maybe. Um, you know, but they have- As in maybe the earth is the third planet But the I sun? get back to the reason why I brought it up is it's in the comedy category and it's an hour long show. And uh, and for that reason, it's it's got an uphill climb because a lot of people like Shameless, even though William H. Macy has cracked this uh, code for Shameless the last couple of years, it's very difficult. People I do agree with that. I, I think there's a distinct prejudice there. And it's I think very, so. It's very, and the thing is, is, is comedy, you know, comedy really can work for an hour. It really can. Oh, and, and it there, works there, here. There's a number of shows, Master of None, I would say, for Transparent, I would say. There are a number of shows that are half an hour that I would love to see as an hour. Yeah, I mean, they could absolutely expand. They don't need an audience laughing. They don't need a laugh track. I mean, I laughed hysterically at some of this stuff. This show reminded me of The Addams Family, which is... You know, probably right, because Barry Sonnenfeld is behind this show, and he did the movie versions of The Addams Family. It's got that kind of kooky, um, uh, crazy, uh, eccentric characters in it, and it, the production values are amazing. Uh, the art direction and production design, I'm sure, will get nominated there. They don't have the prejudice against the hours, but I do think the um, the acting categories uh, do and the uh, actual program categories. So it's going to be tough for that. It's going to be tough for Shameless to break through I, into the program. I think it's going to be tough for anybody to beat Atlanta. I think Atlanta is the the number one thing that is that is that is going to hinder Atlanta is that it's been off the air for several months and it it peaked like crazy last fall. But it's I think on, it's going to yeah. be I think it's going to be hard insofar as the ungageable gauging element of the Emmys, which is how far do people remember? You know, like I always think, for instance, movies that come out in January, yeah, it's tough. don't really want to be Oscar no, nominated it's, films. It's they tough. Just, we because have, they're just um, saying, forget me now. Yeah, we have Get Out uh, that'll really test that this exactly, year. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but uh, in terms of uh, this, this show, Atlanta, I watched it on the plane coming back from Cannes. 
and it was on the plane and they had several episodes and so i was able to do that's that that's the other way to trick you there are ways put him on a plane <laughs> i watch plane. oh my god i watched three episodes of westworld i watched one from last year that i i, I got through uh, the first four episodes i got to watch the rest of it it was really good it was about the uh, assassination of kennedy and uh, with oh uh, james yeah, franco james franco yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really excellent that J. was J. the hulu Abrams. show yeah really yep. addictive i kept watching that on the plane yes get me on a plane and just show me television or get episodes. you on a panel uh, are that are any are do the contenders year round and I'll just watch everything like why you do. do. Well, why don't we do the contenders every weekend? Why don't we just do it? Yeah, we can make it into a streaming series on Netflix and Amazon. <laughs> That's and, good. Uh, now That's good. to segue from that, we're not going to name any winners. Though I have to tell you, I do think I do think uh, Jeffrey Tambor is <laughs> Jeffrey Tambor is hard to take out in this yes, category. Yes, it's going to be. But I think tough. Donald Glover will be a real contender as, yeah. in in the, as the newbie, so to speak, and many yeah. others. Now let's shift over to actress. Yeah, because last year. Well, last year, like many years, the now former female president of the United States, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, won for Veep. Yes, and uh, she will be going for an Emmy record this year. Should she win, this would be her sixth. That is not in terms of the number of Emmys that an actor has won, but in terms of the uh, consecutive Emmy wins in a category for the same show. This would set a record. And let's be also clear. The current season of Veep is awesome, as yes. in her post-presidency. As it should be. Yeah, the, 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 the problem with Veep is it doesn't get worse. It gets better. And <laughs> That's over not the, a problem. No, but it's a problem <laughs> because the, the, the law of attrition of most television, which is yes. changing in this era, but still around, which is that at a certain point, shows run out of gas, yes. right? And yes. then there's a sort of... There's the lack of traction season, and then there's the kind of eating your own traction, yeah. uh, eating your own uh, season, and then finally someone puts a bullet in the head yeah. you know, and ends it or pulls the plug to have a less graphic and violent uh, well, analogy. Exactly. Not so much with Veep. Like, no. better and better and better. Well, so, they're smart people, and the guy behind it came from movies, yep. and uh, he, he, he was doing something very different with it, and it's worked as a series. You know, a, a yeah. good series is something that you can run for season after season after season. It's got a concept, characters and things that connect, and key to all of it, good writers. Now, but here's the thing. Do you think, nothing has shown this so far, but is there a point at which there's Veep fatigue? Of course. People say enough. They say that about everything and anything like this, you know, and that's why nobody's ever surpassed this record of five. You, Candace Bergen did it. Uh, what's his name? You know, Kelsey Grammer, that show, uh, Frasier won five in a row. That little I, show, Frasier, not a lot of people It was a beautiful it. Yeah. show. I nah. loved it. I love the dog, particularly. You Eddie. love anything from the 90s. <laughs> you love anything from you, the 90s. You discovered that. I don't know why yeah. that is. You love both Bush the president and Bush the band. Well, it's just because I said I can't wait for Will and Grace to come back. Are we I, in I'm that? Yes. Words I, will, <laughs> words I will never forget. Okay, but well, I, I, I stand by it. Let's look at last year's nominees that could beat her this year. No! Let us look at a, a sister show on her own station, HBO, which yes. is Insecure and Issa Rae. Oh, and okay. I really think that Issa Rae could be a contender here because, A, Insecure is great. And Issa has star power written all over and her. And B, you just and, did a panel with her. No. Well, it's not just that. <laughs> but it's also part of it. But I'm, I'm not so starstruck about it because I also did a panel yeah. with her at the contenders. Yes. But I've been advocating <laughs> for this show for a while because this show, Insecure, is so smart. Yeah. And in, in, a, in a TV scape where basically as much peak TV as there is, there's an anti-hero, there's a drug issue, there's this and that. This is a show that really takes a different look at the world through the eyes and the lives of Af black Af African. American women 
yes. in Los Angeles. I think it's unique, but I think it connects. So I really think Issa is a contender here. Be interesting to see, though, because then the reason I bring this up, because there are a lot of good contenders, I might add. So. The reason I bring this up is HBO have to make a strategic decision at some point. Yes. New new one are, are the, the veteran. Now, you, uh, you've, been ar- you've been around this racetrack. How do you yeah. make that decision? Uh, I think that they, they play it very uh, right down the middle, particularly HBO. They don't play favorites. That's their philosophy. Yeah. They, they give everybody the same kind of thing. They've had a lot of uh, campaigning for Issa Rae to get her name out there and uh, and to get her into this race. And I don't think Julia Louis-Dreyfus is complaining about that at all. She's very secure. Quickly, before we have to go, I do want to mention that Allison Janney has shrewdly done what she did on the West Wing. She has lifted herself from the supporting category, which she regularly won. Uh, she's done it again. Uh, with mom uh, and taking it to the lead category as she did with West Wing uh, and put herself in lead drama and she won there and she uh, is hoping to win in the lead category because she lost in this category last year and and she's hoping to uh, shake it up a little bit and uh, compete directly against her own co-star who the series was really developed for and it's an interesting move and it's a shrewd move and it's one that Allison Janney has done before. Now let's look at some of the other people who who might be contenders this year is Tignataro for One Mississippi, which is on Amazon, which is uh, never seen it. Fantastic. Okay. I mean, based on based so closely on her own life, but showing the way in which you can take a foundation, which she's done also with her stand up of, of her life tragedies and all and turn them into something insightful, humorous and also poignant. Good. Now, I'll watch it. Now, there's also Michaela Watkin. Love her. Ca- casual. Fabulous yeah. in that show. I love that show. And I think that she is just very underrated, quite frankly. She's not in the conversation as much as she should be here. But Do you I think would- that's because she's on, the show's on Hulu? I think it is. Hulu's had a hard time. You know, they hope with The Handmaid's Tale to uh, break through here. Handmaid's Tale is their breakthrough. Yeah, uh, and uh, so we'll see. Uh, of the ones nominated last year, I think you're going to see Tracy Ellis Ross back for uh, Blackish. Yes. Uh, you will see Lily Tomlin Black. She's on the board of governors of the TV Academy. It doesn't matter what she does. She's there. It should be well, Jane also, Fonda. Also, well, I don't, I, I don't know if it should be Jane or Lily for Grace and Well, Frankie. it should at least be Jane and Lily. But, but I have to say, I mean, yeah. let's come on. This is Lily Tomlin. Yes. I mean, has Lily Tomlin won an Emmy? Oh, please. She's won eight Emmys. She's won eight Emmys. Yeah. Yeah, she won for is narrating a, a show about that, elephants That's right, that's recently. right. So is there a record? <laughs> is, is that a personal record? No, no. We had, um, you know, Cloris Leachman used to win a lot of them. And, um, you know, no, no, no. Uh, actors, it's close. Cloris Leachman, who's in one of my favorite shows of 2017, American Gods. Uh, there Which you go. should have been in one of my favorite episodes. Well, maybe we she'll busy. get nominated and increase her record. I think she's got more Emmys than any other actor there is. Um, and then uh, who else do we have? Oh, Ellie Kemper, your, your, your beloved uh, Kimmy Schmidt. And, uh, you Unbreakable. Know, she's going to get in. And uh, and so there's a little room. And Amy there's Pamela Adlon for Better Things, which is on FX, which is just a fantastic. I mean, this is the thing is this category... Yeah. Is, is though Julia has such a strong hold, right, and yes. rightly so. Let's yeah. not take anything away from yeah. her. There are so many good actresses. It's tough, and game. Amy Schumer's in here for playing a bunch of characters. I think that that should be a separate thing, but, you know, I'm not in favor of proliferation of Emmy categories, so they stick these, um, these sketch uh, actors into these regular uh, series categories, and I, I think that's kind of unfair and not a great comparison. But nevertheless, uh, she's been nominated uh, for the last couple of years, too. So... Um, Interesting. Yeah, we'll see. 
Well, with that, thanks for listening to, which probably is our longest ever Deadline Podcast TV talk. Well, that's because you had a lot of episodes to talk about. There's a lot of TV out there. <laughs> next next one. Let's yeah, talk about that. A lot that. of TV out there. We can maybe get the president of FX on the phone. He likes to talk about that. Either way, with that conversation or others, you can find me on Twitter at Deadline Dominic. And you can find me on Twitter at Deadline P. And of course, you can find all of our Emmy breaking news coverage, as well as our coverage of everything else, as well as my TV reviews and Pete's movie reviews at Deadline.com. Today's show was produced and edited by David Genove. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you later. Bye.